1: Right, we are recording for Contrarians Corner for Daddy Daycare, Not to be confused with Daddy Day Camp.
0: Hello and welcome back to the Contrarians where we're right and you're wrong. Fresh off the heels of the record-breaking and very successful live stream for The Cure, which we had a blast covering the happening on. We're returning back to our regular format, our regularly scheduled program here uh, with our latest episode, as Julio mentioned, covering Daddy Daycare. The 2003 Eddie Murphy descent into madness. Uh, as we <laughs> now, Julio, just right off the bat, this is a uh, one of our patron requests, correct? Yes, or not uh, again? Kate not a request, a demand.
1: Yes, a demand. That's right. I'm glad. I'm glad that now you're getting there before I even correct you. <laughs> uh, yes, Kate and Ot demanded this, and and they added the reason. Oh, here we because go. <laughs> they said to get away from all the artsy fartsy stuff. Which I think is hilarious, because obviously they made this pick before we did stuff like uh, Grudge Match.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we were on a bit of a tear there, and now we had to bring it back to the common man's level with with these movies. And, you know, this at a family level, we're not necessarily a family-friendly podcast, but it's been a while since we dipped our toes into, you know... A true crowd pleaser. You know, we had Grudge Match, but that still had a bit of coarse language and some uh, sensitive themes to it. Here, Nero had sex in the back of a car. He did. We didn't quite get the intense vinegar strokes of um, Righteous Kill, but you know, the intent, uh, the direction was still there. But yeah, it's been a while since we jumped headfirst into a kids movie. I I mean, I can't remember the last kids movie we did. Aladdin, maybe. Man, that was. There, there was a whole different world when we did that. That was on the better side of a pandemic, for God's sake. Spoiler, I did not cry at the end of Daddy Daycare like I did at the end of Aladdin, but the, the emotions still run hot.
1: Well, 2020 has hardened you.
0: I didn't <laughs> cry either. It, it's hardened both of us. I mean, Eddie Murphy is a hardened man, so what do you expect? If this is your first time tuning into The Contrarians, uh, all of what we probably just said didn't make much sense to you, but don't worry, at all we will here before too long. Uh, we thank you for tuning in. I'm not sure how many new listeners we could potentially pick up with this, but Eddie Murphy does have an audience, as is shown by the staggering box office return of this movie. Uh, so, if this is your first time listening to The Contrarians, thank you once again. If you're a returning listener, as always, we love you. Give us a second here while we explain what we do. Here on The Contrarians, we like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine find a movie that is highly rated on Rotten Tomatoes Uh, a lot of times with that trademarked logo of Certified Fresh tagged along with it and make a case for maybe why critics overstated its importance or uh, maybe they didn't find some of the negative aspects of it so we cut that movie down to size and on the other side of the coin we'll find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is lowly rated usually about 30% and below those nasty green splotches which I wonder if those are IP, it just kind of looks like it was made in MS Paint, I've never seen a trademark next to it like I have the Certified Fresh
1: I don't even know that the, the the tomatoes themselves... I mean, yeah, the Certified Fresh little stamp, I'm sure that that's trademarked. But, uh, you know, can you, can you really trademark a tomato? Or I'm a sure. green splotch, for that matter?
0: The guy who Just, made those got fired and is, like, somewhere still, you know, posting on blogs about how he created the system <laughs> and is owed millions. We will find the positive merit in these rotten films. We will find maybe what the critics missed... Uh, what audiences missed, and what you should look for to celebrate in these, uh, a lot of times, misunderstood masterpieces. Being that Daddy Daycare from 2003 comes in at 27% on Rotten Tomatoes. We will spend the first portion of this podcast, Contrarians Corner, discussing uh, its positive merit and making a case for why you should check it out. Now, Julio... That always isn't necessarily the case of how we really feel. If listeners want to find out how we really feel, they just need to hang around for the second half.
1: That's correct. Once we get to the second half of the show, aptly titled Real Talk, that's when we uh, we just let our true feelings out. And then it's when you find out if we actually feel the way that we said we felt in Conternet's Corner or if we uh, have a different opinion. And sometimes if it's a movie that Alex and I haven't discussed beforehand... Like Daddy Daycare, because I'm pretty sure this is the first time in our lives, Alex, that uh, we've talked to each other about Daddy daycare. Uh, so we don't really know how the other one feels, and we'll find out in the second half of the show along with the rest of you.
0: Yeah, I don't know of any conversation that w- I know we've talked about Eddie Murphy and the the curious case of him in recent years, or I guess this isn't this is almost twenty years ago, so it's not recent. but the curious case of Eddie Murphy post 1980, what have you? 90s and moving forward. So, yeah. The, I mean, this- we,
1: did, uh, we did a long time ago. Uh, we did 48 hours and another 48 hours. And that was a very different Eddie Murphy.
0: That is an understatement.
1: <laughs> it was also a very
0: different world, Alex. <laughs> that is also an understatement. They just let Nick Nolte say whatever the fuck he wanted. <laughs> yeah, for whatever reason, I had in my mind that this came out uh, later and, like... I felt in my mind that this came out when I was working for the theater, and maybe that's just all the other shitty Eddie Murphy comedies that came out then, <laughs> but I didn't start working for another four years after this came out. So, Well,
1: but do you remember Eddie Murphy specifically, or do you just remember the poster? Because at the, the Daddy Day Camp poster, that's the sequel, it's exactly the same, only it replaces Eddie Murphy with uh, Cooper Gooden Jr.
0: With an actual Oscar winner.
1: With the future O.J. Simpson.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm trying to remember what it would have been. I um, Let's see here. Just going through his filmography very quickly. Norbit, Shrek the Third, Meet Dave, Imagine That, Tower Heist, A Thousand Words. Okay. These are the ones. Like All these posters I'm just going through really quick all look the same. There's this look of bewilderment on Eddie Murphy's face. <laughs> his hair and mustache is perfect. Uh, you know, it's, 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 yeah, these are interchangeable movies for, with the exception of Tower when Heist. How did I get here? Yeah. Do you remember Tower Heist was like supposed to be his comeback to comedy?
1: Is it said, uh, Matthew Broderick, Owen Wilson?
0: Uh, Yes. I don't know if Owen Wilson's in it. I do remember Matthew Broderick. Precious? It, it was the, yeah, Brett Ratner movie. And it was supposed to be like Eddie Murphy's back. And, and he's like, I never left, baby. <laughs> I was nominated for an Oscar just a few years ago and I didn't win it because I made Norbit. <laughs> Before any of that could happen, though, it is, ooh, the vaunted first weekend of the summer, uh, May 9th, 2003 Or not technically the first, but, you know, the X-Men Origins Wolverine slot You gotta get in there right when the summer starts Uh, May 9th, 2003, a hilariously high budget of $60 million went into making this film uh, But it was worth its weight in star power as it returned over $160 million in the box office, thus opening the floodgates for movies like Meet Dave to have also a $60 million budget. Julio. But no Jeff Garlin. It was a different time. It was a simpler time. Uh, people were... A bit more optimistic and had a better outlook on everything. You know, this was still a a fairly fresh post-9-11 world. People just wanted to laugh and have a good time. If that means it's Eddie Murphy chasing kids around and, you know, toilet humor, so be it. That's just what they wanted. Unfortunately, Julio, that didn't apply to everybody. Not everyone wanted this sense of optimism or happiness as, what would that be, 63%? uh, 73% of critics... Turn this one down. They didn't have much positive to say about it. So what were these haters and these uh, perennially frowning people saying about it?
1: What did they have to say? These people that couldn't appreciate Eddie Murphy uh, just being a family guy. We'll start with uh, Jonathan R. Perry from Tyler Morning Telegraph, Texas, who says, I am not offended by its singular lack of energy or invention. I never expected more than a cinematic Big Mac when I saw Eddie Murphy's name above the title Daddy Daycare. But what I got was a sandwich from a gas station. Those are good, too.
0: Yeah, man. I had a real big affinity for uh, the egg salad sandwich from 7-Eleven when I was in college. I'm very lucky I didn't die. I mean,
1: you're playing with fire there, but (laughs) the the risk-reward ratio is pretty high.
0: Mm, It's true.
1: Jeffrey Weshoff from Northwest Herald, Crystal Lake, Illinois, says, furthers Eddie Murphy's transformation into Bill Cosby. Two things are wrong with that. Bill Cosby already is Bill Cosby. And Eddie Murphy used to be Eddie Murphy.
0: Uh, There's three some... things are wrong with that. <laughs> uh, I would say I would like a moment for rebuttal. Is there something else that we should probably put in there? Yeah,
1: talk about something that dated very poorly. That, that, come on,
0: this isn't as bad as Ghost Dad.
1: And finally, uh, speaking of things that haven't aged well... Jake Uecker from F5, Wichita, Kansas. My advice is to beat your children rather than take them to daddy daycare.
0: Hmm. Jake, no. Folks. 2003. What was the the source on that? Uh, That was F5. Kansas
1: paper. Yeah, F5 from Wichita, Kansas. Jake Uecker no longer works there, and he can no longer see his kids.
0: Yeah, that would definitely feel, that feels like, you know, uh, ain't it cool news type thing of the time say something outlandish to get clicks and reviews the high speed internet is here to stay baby we gotta get these clicks any way we can (laughs) all right julio daddy daycare you know we had mentioned uh oscar winners previously we have a a fresh oscar winner on the cast of this and miss regina king i had no idea she was in this movie
1: oh yeah that's right she did i'm sorry i was thinking of uh you know just this past year that she wasn't even nominated for directing uh one Night in Miami. But no, yeah. The, mm-hmm. Was it
0: two years ago that she won from for Beale Street? 2018, yeah, if Beale Street could talk. And then... and She's great, man. Yeah, and she's effortless in this as well. Has Angelica Houston ever won an Academy Award? Um, she'd better. <laughs> uh, Prizzy's honor. Adam's Family? <laughs> yes. Uh, um, best Supporting Actress in 1985.
1: So there you nice. go. Nice. Only one. That's You know, because I always think of Angelica Houston as... Shoulder to shoulder with Meryl Streep, but it looks like Meryl just catered to the Academy a lot more. She was more successful uh, picking her projects, I guess.
0: Played the political game. Yes, for her fun, <laughs> always with the went- gift bags. <laughs> yeah, she let everyone into advance screenings of Mamma Mia, gave them tickets <laughs> to see Abba. <laughs> Set the record straight on Angelica Houston, three-time nominee, one-time winner. So we have. A movie that is just saturated in gold here. Just absolutely, you know, as history has, is, you know, those quotes didn't age well, but this movie has by who's involved with it. And outside of Eddie Murphy, I mean, you got freaking Jeff Garland and Steve Zahn, two gods of comedy in there. Written by Jeff Rodkey, who up until this point was a writer on Beavis and Butthead, was, oh, he co-wrote with Al Franken, Rush Limbaugh is a big fat idiot, the 1996 book. And the Shaggy Dog RV, Daddy Day Camp, and Good Luck Charlie, It's Christmas were his follow-ups to Daddy Day Care. Julio, were you working for the movie theater industry when this came out in 2003? Mm, no, not that summer. I started
1: 2003 like towards the end when Return of the King was, was all the rage around the holidays. You ever- so I, I missed out on the crowds for, uh, for this Eddie Murphy vehicle.
0: The horror stories that Julio and I have about certain movies being released in the theater, I know we've mentioned a couple on here before, Toy Story, Smurfs, uh, some of the just, you know, almost PTSD-like scenes that play back <laughs> in my mind of the absolute just chaos that was theaters after it. You ever watch a movie like this and think to yourself, man, I bet the theaters cleaning up after this were just fucking awful. Yep. You think they trash Eddie Murphy's house? <laughs> <laughs> because not only do you have the little kids you know just throwing shit everywhere but you have the pratfalls and laughs of adults who throw the popcorn up in the air because they're laughing so hard
1: it's part of the experience i guess you know they it just takes them back to being kids again the adults i mean (laughs) because you would think like i that that's cool you you lose yourself in the movie and you're just you know laughing and making a mess but then once the credits roll you become an adult again right You, you just snap back to reality and you're like oh well, maybe I should pick up some of this trash, but no, <laughs> that's not what happens.
0: So, I guess that answers my next question: Had you seen this beforehand? Did you see this in the theater, Julio? Did you have any reason to go see this in the movie theater?
1: Uh, no, uh, because I—I I mean, I'm—I'm I'm ashamed to admit it, but I've never really been into Eddie Murphy, even though I liked uh, Coming to America a lot when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I think that might be like the only Eddie Murphy movie that that I was like a big fan of, and uh, when he started doing the 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 family stuff. I, I wasn't even interested in checking it out. So it was, it was one of the things at the time I was not uh, familiar with uh, Jeff Garland's talents. I honestly, I didn't know Steve Zahn was in this movie until I watched it tonight. <laughs> so, and, uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure I've said it before on the show. I, I hate kids. So there's really no reason for me to go and watch it. You're rolling the dice and you're at a disadvantage when you go watch a family movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, because odds are that it's just going to be unbearable, and uh, I should have had more faith, I guess, on on Eddie Murphy as a performer and just like the quality of the talent assembled. Because that's that's one of the triumphs of this movie that they managed to pull it off, right? They 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 are the the outlier. They're the kids movie that has a lot of like kids on screen being kids, and yet it's it's not unbearable. It's actually charming and and endearing.
0: So both first-time viewings for myself and Julio, and we both viewed it the same way. If you have one of those handy-dandy subscriptions to HBO Max, you can watch this shit right on there. It's beautiful.
1: Or you could order the Criterion, which is what I did.
0: (laughs) Uh, It is a film transfer as well that they have on there, which is always funny when we watch movies like this, and the transfer is a higher quality than modern movies that we cover. Julio, Steve Carr directed this. We're going way back to the beginning of the Contrarians with this. Any guesses as to what he's returning from?
1: Empire Records.
0: No, come on.
1: Family Stone.
0: Come on, no. We're talking about Paul Blart Mall Cop. So Steve oh. Carr only picks the blockbusters. He's only here to bring in the big bucks.
1: I mean, that's it. It makes sense. It's it's uh, you know Paul Blart's also a highly. It's a very successful family movie. That has a very like an on the rise comedic actor as mm. its star, just like Eddie Murphy was on the rise. <laughs> in this movie, you know, because Murphy's career is like a roller coaster. So,
0: <laughs> oh, definitely is. I think he he was like on his second or third way up. Oh no, of course, uh, he had three movies in between this Showtime, which I know is a favorite of yours, uh, <laughs> The Adventures of Pluto Nash, and I Spy. He was a busy man in the two thousands. Was Eddie Murphy?
1: Okay, I Spy does have Owen Wilson.
0: Yes, it does. Right? Yeah. Okay,
1: I, I was I was gonna land that
0: one sooner or later. <laughs> it was a sticking point with, uh, of course, Malcolm McDowell in it as well, because why not? All right. Well, we've we've tiptoed around. We've set the table. We've named the players. Let's get to the game here. Daddy Daycare kicks us off. Uh, I mean, something that is prevalent throughout this is just a banger soundtrack, and yes. I mean you know suspend your disbelief all these cliches and euphemisms that we drop all the time on here it, you know you're going to be in for just a laid back good time when walking on sunshine kicks off the film
1: do you have a favorite song in the soundtrack uh
0: i mean personally uh, surrender by uh, is that cheap trick that does that song
1: Was that Cheap Trick on stage? That's my note. Uh,
0: Yeah, Cheap Trick and Jeff Garland just rocking through. Uh, Yeah, Surrender would be my favorite, but I mean, I love I Want You Back by the Jackson 5. ABC by the Jackson 5 is in there. I mean, this is a movie with three montages, so we definitely get our money's worth from the soundtrack perspective. Who knows how much of that $60 million budget went to this. Because they're not covers. They're like the real deal. Oh, absolutely. And (laughs) Jackson 5 music ain't cheap. But, yeah, we got Walking on Sunshine, the playful crayon credits. It made me realize, honestly, that my innocence is lost because it's been so long since I've seen just a straight-up kids movie. You know, not Pixar, nothing, you know, the... Even Disney, like Wreck It Ralph, understanding mm-hmm. that those movies are, you know, Disney movies, so one would assume they're aimed for kids. They have stuff for you and I in it. Made me realize it had been so long since I had seen just a straight up kids movie. Just by the opening credits here, I was so excited to just kind of be transformed back into sitting cross-legged in front of my TV, you know, with my coloring book and juice.
1: Yeah, it, it's cool because actually we have the advantage of not having been beaten down by dozens of kids movies because we don't have kids so we don't have to watch them and so we can appreciate this with fresh eyes Mm -hmm. and i was talking about how like i generally don't like kids in movies but the the movie opens with a self-sufficient kid which to me is very different from a precautious kid like precautious kids in movies are a pain in the ass they're annoying they're never as smart as they think they are I just find him great. But uh, a self-sufficient kid, which is, you know, Eddie Murphy's kid in, in, in this opening sequence. You know, he's doing everything on his own, but he's not calling attention to himself. He's not winking at the camera. He's just going about his business, brushing his teeth, getting breakfast ready. Like That's how you should handle kids in a in a kid's movie, right? Don't, mm-hmm. don't make him, like, smarter than they're
0: supposed to be. Just make them smart enough. Just make him passable.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. He doesn't have to be a little adult. He just has to be a cool kid.
0: And we had mentioned the star power here so much that we get and Angelica Houston, the former Academy Award winner, getting the and credit. Beautiful.
1: Do you think that uh, Angelica, Angelica Houston and Lacey Chabert were, like, fighting it out? They're two agents. Like, who's <laughs> going to get the and? And then Houston won. Daddy daycare. First, it was amusing. And it was annoying. Now it's really
0: starting to tick me off. Our titular character, Daddy Daycare, Eddie Murphy, plays Charlie Hinton, uh, married to Kimberly Hinton, as we mentioned, played by Regina King. He works for an ad firm. It seems for breakfast cereals, items for children in general. He works too much, Julio. It's it's one of those things. I started to get annoyed with the lack of subtlety here, but then I remembered it's it, this movie isn't targeted for me, so of course I, I'm fine with them over-explaining this and you know having these moments of him taking his work over his family repeatedly to illustrate this. Because, you know, little kids, it's going to take them a little bit longer to grasp this concept. So in that sense, there is subtlety to it because they they don't do it so much so that like a turtle could comprehend it. It's just right for a kid's movie that we see the struggle that his overloaded work life is putting on his family.
1: You're right. It's it's aimed at kids, but it also keeps it entertaining. That I think that that's the luxury that you you can afford when you have Uh, Eddie Murphy and Regina King playing the parents because they're just so charismatic on screen that I don't mind the repetition. I don't mind the lack of subtlety because there's, you know, you have movie stars on the screen. So that just makes it all more entertaining. Uh, There's an extra level of it too because this is Regina King before she was Regina King like now. Like now I'm used to Regina King just playing really like badass women that don't take shit from anybody. Mm -hmm. But here she's just like, she's almost too nice to Eddie Murphy. Which makes it extra amusing because it's Regina King playing it. You know, it's like I I feel like if Regina King today were to play this character, she wouldn't put up with any of it. The moment that Eddie Murphy is like, "Oh, I want to use her house for daycare," she'd be like, "No, go get a real job." <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, but this is a gentler Regina King, you know, from earlier, more innocent era. So that was also that that also helped me get through it.
0: Eddie Murphy's job, you know, he's overworked, but it's also thrown him a curveball as he's currently responsible. It looks like his um, partner at work is played by Jeff Garland, returning, Contrarian's favorite, coming off of his potentially award winning performance when we get around <laughs> to it in The Rocker. As uh, he, In this movie, Phil, Phil Ryerson, and he works alongside Eddie Murphy, and the, their task, their latest project at work, is marketing a vegetable cereal towards children. Man, you want to talk about your Mission Impossible? <laughs> Is there anything better than sugary breakfast cereal? And I, you know, that's coming from me as an adult. Me as a kid, I was watching this, and I was like, alongside with these kids, of man, if I'm going to be having breakfast cereal, it's like the principle of pizza. Don't make me healthy pizza. I know it's bad, and I'm putting it in my system because of that. You're giving me cereal. I want Reese's Puffs. I want Captain C with the the crunch berries in it. And in this case, these kids are fed, um, what is it, carrot and broccoli flavored cereal. Yeah, they were right to throw the food at them and spit at them. They rioted. It did. Even though they had That
1: was a a non-sugar riot. Can you imagine if
0: they had like a sugar high? (laughs) Just tipping over cars on the parking lot. (laughs) Yeah, they uh, brought in their mascots, just a guy in a big- Broccoli outfit and a guy in a, you know, like you would see back in the day outside of sandwich shops, guy dressed up like a big sandwich Uh, and then the carrot who filling in for the carrot who I guess called in because he got a different gig is Steve Zahn, which Julio mentioned he did not know he was in this. This would have been, you know, Steve Zahn riding just the tidal wave of popularity at the time coming off of, you know, such classics as uh, Saving Silverman, of course. And this even segued into national security. You know, he got bumped up his billing off of this.
1: <laughs> that is quite a career that Steve Zahn
0: has. Steve Zahn's the man. I'm looking through, you know, he started back in the early 90s. We He's been on the podcast before in Reality Bites, of course. Uh, that thing you do. So he mm-hmm. is no stranger to us. And returning here, but in a way more subdued role. This is like, you know, I always make that, uh, or use the expression about rattlesnake venom just a little bit will get you they they get just a little bit they tease us with Steve Zahn because i really think this was more of like a, a nod to the parents watching we know who he is and we know what he's here to do but we also know he's a bit more of a pg-13 guy so we got to kind of use him sparingly here he's dangerous
1: he's there to provide the thrill of a potential pg-13 upgrade to parents the, everywhere the
0: wild card Steve Zahn. <laughs> yeah the vegetable cereal goes awry. This also the same day that Charlie and Kimberly are going to take their son, Ben, to um, this fancy pants daycare that they really want to get him into. Uh, Chapman Academy. And this is where we're introduced to Miss Angelica Houston as she's the dean uh, or, you know, the the madam. I don't know. <laughs> this is a, a lot I like know about your- a madam. <laughs> A lot like your '70s and '80s college comedies with the really strict college or the, you know, the fraternity with the 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 old proctor that oversees everything going on, but it's basically like a Harvard for toddlers. they are these little kids that they're trying to teach foreign languages and theory things that you shouldn't really be taught until high school. They're essentially just trying to tailor the next generation of super intelligent kids but with no hunger for fun or joy or color, you know, all in their little uniforms walking in unison, that type of thing.
1: They're well intentioned but accidentally they're creating the next generation of libertarians.
0: <laughs> yes. Charlie ends up having a bolt though as there's a he has to get to work. Yeah, because again, he works too much. Uh, sadly, when he shows up there, he and Jeff Garland learn that they're they've been let go. Their campaign didn't go anywhere, and they're letting the whole team go, which they said is about three hundred people. Now, Julio, we've talked about product placement in movies before. I got to be honest with you: this dinner scene following his firing, you don't see Panda Express product placement <laughs> in many movies. And of course, I wanted Panda Express after I saw this, and I just appreciated, you know. You would expect in your Eddie Murphy movies your Burger Kings, your McDonald's, that type of shit. But, you know, Steve Carr here and Eddie just kind of bucked the trends. And, you know, and it's also shattering all types of stereotypes, which I appreciate as well. It's just something that you do not expect coming in. And, again, it's something, you know, we talk about there's things for the kids to like. There's things for the parents to like. This is something from a storytelling perspective and also a creative decision for film connoisseurs to enjoy. Just to go, hey... I appreciate what they did there.
1: If Daddy Daycare doesn't win any awards at the next Embries, at the very least, it will get the Panda Express product placement award. <laughs> yes. I I feel pretty confident saying that, that there's not going to be another instance of a creative product placement and unusual product placement uh, in the rest of the year of movies that we're going to be covering.
0: He drops the bombshell that he's been let go. Uh, Regina King now. This is coming back to what you were saying. She's the one that kind of starts cracking the whip now. I'm the one making the money. you got to (laughs) stay home with the kid. Charlie views this as kind of um, a setback. And, you know, society was changing at this point, but it was still there was an unfair notion that the woman takes care of the kid while the man goes and brings home the bacon. So this movie did a lot, I think, for switching gender norms or at least, as I mentioned earlier, bucking stereotypes and kind of breaking through in that uh, in that idea, in that uh, realm And so he ends up staying home with his son, Ben, and realizing the need for uh, childcare. But this is quickly how he learns his relationship with his son is not what he thinks it is. As I think their first day together, his little son, Ben, says, Where's mommy going? So she'll be back later. Well, we need mommy here to have fun, which, of course, just washes over him like a blanket of shame.
1: (laughs) It's one of uh, Eddie Murphy's best moments in, in the movie, like that performance, because it's, I mean, throughout the entire movie, Eddie Murphy is toned down, and not in a bad way. It's just in a in a human way, right? This is this is a story that requires Eddie Murphy to to just settle in and not not just be outrageous, not be funny, haha, but more like funny, huh? Yeah. And uh, it, it he manages it, and, and that allows him to have these quiet moments also that are kind of devastating, <laughs> like the fact that you know he in this moment he realizes that his son doesn't really like hanging out with him. That's pretty awesome. I also really around this time when the movie kind of just lets you know that you're in for this for an exploration of a major issue in America. Which honestly, I don't even know if I would have been able to appreciate it at the time. Now, even though I don't have kids, like I mentioned, we have enough friends with kids that I know that child care is a problem. If you, especially if you're a couple, twentieth century, twenty first century couple, where more than likely both parents are working, and that means that you need somebody to take care of the kids. It's it's expensive and it's always you're taking a chance every time that you leave your kids with someone. So this movie, it's not like it makes it, you know, a really dark, serious part of the plot, but it's always hanging there. You know, it's really what, what motivates... Eddie Murphy to do everything that's next. It's just the fact that he needs to find a way to not just take care of his his family financially, but also make sure his kid's going to be okay, whether he's working, whether his wife is working, whether both of them are working. Uh, And that's really, it's very understated throughout the movie.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, kind of already made allusion to it. He quickly realizes the necessity for child care as at the park, speaking with his uh, fellow parents and friends, that, you know, they, they need child care as well. And, you know, it's even laid out that, you know, this could be a potential way to make a living. And, you know, being the stereotypes and gender norms, quote unquote, as they were at the time, he just he assumes taking care of kids is easy and there's no problem to it because, you know, he's never really had to do it. So he and Jeff Garland, his buddy Phil, decide that, hey, we're going to give this a shot and start a daycare service. They're going to call it Daddy Daycare because that's simple enough. And it's not a real movie if you don't say the title of it somewhere in the dialogue. Or several times. (laughs) So we cut to montage number 1, which is played to I Want You Back by the Jackson 5, which is them just out, you know, street teaming it, paper in the neighborhoods, flyers out, uh, asking people to, you know, consider it. Julio it features Jeff Garland standing outside of a karate um, dojo and handing out these flyers to little kids coming out and one of the little girls that comes out kicks him in the nuts and it's hilarious I because gotta Check that box. Any age, any country, any language. I don't care. A guy, especially a portly fellow like myself, like Jeff Garland, getting kicked in the dick is fucking hilarious. Because the way he sells it too at first, where he tries to like keep it together, but then he ends up throwing the flyers on the ground and just screaming <laughs> in agony. You will never be too old or too young to laugh at someone getting kicked in the junk.
1: I agree. I, it, it's uh, <laughs> so on that end, uh, that's great because it just it cuts away from him to Eddie Murphy doing something else, and it, it cuts back, and he's still on the floor, which is very realistic.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> when he got you go down.
1: Off. Yeah, when you go down because of a, due to a kick in the nuts, you're down for a while. So I appreciated the montage; it really nailed that message. Also, this director, he is in love with cross Solves. and I'm right there with him because you don't see them very often uh, anymore. They're, they're kind of a uh, you know they're passé. Most modern movies don't really go for cross Solves. At most, they go with fades to black. But it's very old fashioned to see a scene cross dissolving into another. You know, it's like yeah. it's like when you see those wipes in Star Wars movies. It's like, oh, well, that's really that's really old time. But here, Steve Carr just commits to the cross dissolves, and that's something else that makes not just the montage sequences, but overall, like his transitions throughout the entire movie, just memorable.
0: That's a that's a great call out too on the cross dissolves uh, that really harken back to the old days of film and some of the, definitely the the older ones we've done on here. Uh, Definitely an interesting choice for the time. And again, one that may kind of fly under the radar for the children and even some of the parents watching, for for people like you and I watching this and dissecting what uh, Daddy Daycare truly offers. It's it's something to to appreciate.
1: It's because we don't have kids to take care of, so we can fully commit to what's on screen.
0: (laughs) Did you notice during the montage, they stole the bit from Black Sheep where Jeff Garland staples his hand to a flyer when he's putting it in a tree? Yep. Paying homage to the classics here. It's opening day, and they set up basically what's tantamount to a lemonade stand. It's a sign-up desk. It's like when you get to college orientation. You go and sign up and get your paperwork. And this, my note says reverse sexism because Uh everyone is so just turned away from the fact that it's men operating this. And, you know, I already mentioned, but I felt like this movie did a lot to say where we were at the time in terms of gender stereotypes and uh, sexism. And I feel it went out of its way to make a point about that, and also what what we can and should be as a society.
1: Yeah, it, it's I have the same note. I well, I wrote discrimination against men, which is I think sometimes we can forget that men can be victims too. It, it's just it stopped being news, right? But but when you see it represented here, these are just two perfectly fine dads that want to make some money by taking care of other people's kids and uh it's not even like they haven't gone through the process i mean they mentioned in a couple a couple scenes earlier Lily murphy mentions that he he has applied for a permit you know this is not like a a, an irresponsible operation they're actually doing what they're supposed to do but they don't even they don't get the benefit of the doubt just they i mean they literally the the moms are coming up to the to the sign up table they specifically say that they don't trust them because they're men which is kind of it was just shocking
0: i I was just trying to put myself in the mindset of that at the time and you know what my thought process would be uh but it's men and women alike that are just like no i'm not leaving my kids with you until they have uh one of their friends the the woman who actually helped talk them into it do you recognize her from something else yeah she's in a lot of things i think most notably daddy day camp (laughs) syoban fallon hogan i don't know if i'm pronouncing her first name correctly um I mean, she's the bus driver in Forrest Gump. That's one of the things that immediately comes to mind. There you go. Yeah. She's in Men in Black, and then for me most recently, and probably what's always going to come to mind is she's the prison guard in Dancer in the Dark that befriends Bjork and is the one that (laughs) kind of like holds her and tells her it's going to be okay when she's on death row. So a bit of a different tone here than the last time I saw her. She talks him into, you know, what do you have to lose? Let these men take care of your kids, you know. Um, it's always
1: she's a healthy uh, attitude to have when, it, you know, when you're talking about your kids.
0: Well, because she also drops in there, though, like, because if you don't, I'll kill you with my own hands. One of the parents here, I had to look up because I was convinced it was Judy Greer, because they showed this woman from the side that looked like her, but it was not Judy Greer. Uh, but as oh, the no. ki-
1: <laughs> They would have given Judy Greer at least one scene.
0: Yes, you're right, because this was, no, this was pre-Elizabethtown. This would have been like the, the prelude, uh, but it, w- it was for naught. But I make that segue to say, you know, I thought I saw one star, but um, I was mistaken. But as these kids start filing in, did you see who one of the little kids is played by? Future star of Hollywood, Ellie Fanning? Uh,
1: the Neon Demons, Ellie Fanning. <laughs> I honestly, I didn't recognize her. Uh, it was my wife. She, was, she wasn't she was even watching the movie. She was walking around, and she's like, hey, is that one of the Fanning sisters? I'm like, who? What? No, that's the Murphy's kid. And then I
0: saw who she was pointing at. This is better than the Neon Demon, so she started off hot here with this movie. <laughs> Julio, it's a group of rambunctious kids, and you know where it goes from here, but... Sometimes the path of least resistance is the best one to take. Sometimes the the simplest road is the right one to take. And it is just chaos with these little kids as these two men do not understand how to take care of them at all. They feed them ho-hos for lunch. Um, they, they think they can read. They're like four- and five-year-old kids, and they just assume they know how to read. They hand them, like, a syllabus. And... <laughs> I mean, hilarity ensues. There's no other way to put it.
1: You know, it's, it's like you were saying. It's, there's a formula to these things, and there's a reason. There's a formula. It's because the formula works. We literally, we just saw it on our uh, Spider-Verse episode. You know, you don't need to really reinvent uh, superhero origin stories. You, you can just follow the path that's been laid by plenty of movies before you. Just do it well. Do it with confidence make sure you have charismatic performers and that's what daddy daycare does and so you know that you're gonna have like each kid's gonna have their quirk uh you know there's one that's always dressed like flash there's one that uh, jeff garland's son that has gastrointestinal problems there's a little girl that has a cell phone which you know i i I thought that was hilarious like back in the day when when the gag was that a little kid would have a phone and now that's just reality (laughs) um there's a little kid that never calms down until Jeff Garland gives him a dollar. I think that's the same kid that, that has a hot mom. But, but yeah, so, so it's just, you know, it, it, it's a, an ensemble piece. It's, it's great.
0: And naturally, while this chaos ensues, uh, I want to be sedated by the Ramones play. Because if there's one thing that the Ramones had prophesied in the 70s when inventing the punk movement and producing these albums, it was that years from now, Eddie Murphy is going to use this in a family comedy. It if the only Ramones
1: felt right. had still been around when this movie was made, they would have been the ones playing at the fundraiser. <laughs>
0: Through this, uh, it seems like Ben is a bit apprehensive about sharing his dad. You know, come to find out, it's a lot of. um, He's just got some case of uh, social anxiety and isn't really sure how to behave around these other kids. And I think he's kind of looking to his dad for comfort for that. And Charlie kind of has a hard time picking up on that, Uh, or so it would seem, because he realizes what's what he needs is just to kind of befriend these kids and open himself up a little more. And uh, that that pays off by the end of the movie. Uh, Ben does become. You know, he, he gains a whole group of friends throughout this. But here in this kind of middle part, it really seems like he's struggling with it. We It's left to us, the audience, to interpret what he's struggling with. Like I said, to me, it seemed like he was having a hard time sharing his dad. But really, it's just kind of inner turmoil of meeting new people and experiencing new things.
1: Yeah, I think it's a combination of all of it, right? Uh, this kid's used to just it being him and one parental figure at home. And suddenly there's this invasion of really quirky characters and they're all taking attention away from him. Uh, I mean, we mentioned it at the very beginning. He's a self-sufficient kid, but that doesn't mean that he is... uh, You know, that's what I appreciate. Like, He's not a little adult because a little adult would like... Be kind of like uh, a smart mouth, and maybe let Jeff Garland or Eddie Murphy know what's what's going on, like what they're doing wrong, whatever. But no, this kid was the perfect representation of a kid his age, where like the fact that he's having issues is signaled by the fact that we get close-ups of his face, like looking concerned or looking and you know distressed. Like that's great. That's economical filmmaking, and that is uh, so much more effective than actually having the kid verbalize it. You know, he never really says. What his problem is, we just kind of th- the movie through trial and error kind of like figures it out, right? He eventually will learn that you know he likes drawing, and I guess he wasn't drawing enough with that <laughs> before the, the 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 daddy daycare thing started, and and yeah, you know he he seems happy to be making friends, but it's never uh, there's never a big set piece where this comes to the front. It's just something that's kind of running in the background.
0: Also running in the background is Angelica Houston, Miss Gwyneth Halden. Uh, who runs, as we mentioned, what is the name of it, Chapman Academy, becomes aware that, one, she sees these flyers, she's inadvertently handed one for daddy daycare, and then two is noticing uh, a decrease in student body. It's minor. uh, You know, she notices four kids are gone. She said three kids would be a coincidence, but four is, you know, there's something going on. Her second, or I guess secretary, lackey, what have you, played by Lacey uh, Chaubert, who was not in Lost in Space. Well, I was also saying not far away from making one of the definitive comedies of the 21st century in Mean Girls. And then also, shortly after that, was part of the very underrated Black Christmas remake called her Chaubert. Chabert, Idiot. That's Eliza Thornberry. That's probably what she'll be most known for at the end of the day. <laughs> Yes, Lacey showberry uh, plays Jenny, the second in command, the the lackey, whatever her role is. She's there to just kind of do what uh, Angelica Houston tells her, and so they've realized that there's something going on, and that they're no longer the game in town, the only game in town. So they file a complaint about you know this new daycare isn't operating up to uh, standards or you know what the law requires. So, Dan Kubitz, who's the director of child services, is it ever outright stated what city they're in?
1: Mm, not that I can think of. Oklahoma came to mind, but
0: that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, that'd be perfect for kids, too, because then they can just think, it's just like my town. But anyway, a homeboy <laughs> shows up, Jonathan Katz, and he conducts you know a survey of the property and what's going on, realizes they have... 12 kids and so they can't they need another adult to help them out to be able to come up to code and have all this paperwork to fill out the main takeaway from it is he eventually explains that you know it was uh miss harridan that filed this complaint and so we had to follow up on it he just like immediately rats her out it's it's quite entertaining (laughs) this guy is low-key the MVP of the movie I mean not the real MVP because you
1: know this is a movie with Jeff garland and Steve zahn in it but I really appreciated his performance because he's not you know muggy. so
0: reserved mm-hmm
1: but also he a hundred percent nailed that type of inspector I don't know I don't know if you've ever had to deal with uh with the health inspectors or with the you, you oh, know yeah. th- like, at the theater, that was just, like, a regular thing, right? And, uh, I mean, not all of them are like this, but I usually, I found that the type was that they were just very, like this guy, you know? They will tell you everything you're doing wrong, but they're being very nice about it. <laughs> they're being very professional. So matter of fact, yeah. Yeah, and this guy was like, there's a point where he, he says, you know, I don't want to close you down, but I will. But he's but he's not threatening. He's, not, he's just being very matter of fact and very just, you know, nice. And I was like, man, this guy, I mean, it's such a, small role and i imagine if if you're if you're doing a scene opposite jeff garland and eddie murphy the temptation is to go as big as possible right especially if you know that you don't have that many opportunities to do that in through the rest of the movie you're not steve zahn right you're just like you're gonna be against these guys and so you need to kind of like level up and and play on their volume but instead this this guy played it completely straight and just it, that, was, that was what makes it memorable. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of this guy. I mean, we know that the Embrys are going to be overloaded with uh, supporting performances uh, this year. So I'm not even going to suggest that this guy might make the cut. But still, I'll, I'll give him props right now on this episode.
0: Oh, I do feel a need to call out as the wrestling fan of the two of us here that, you know, interwoven with what we were just explaining, the inspection and the drama that surrounds it, there is a shoehorned... Um Scene (laughs) where Eddie Murphy and Jeff Garland put on the broccoli and carrot mascot outfits from earlier in the movie. Clearly, you know, a wrestling fan had something to do with the writing here because one, they're playing the theme from Space Odyssey in the background, which of course was what Ric Flair came out to for or has come out to for the past 40 years. And then they're cutting promos on each other a la Hulk Hogan, both starting with, well, let me tell you something, brother. So yep. I, I appreciate the attention to detail.
1: You've changed me, and this show has changed me, Alex, because I instantly recognized it. And I, my note says, vegetable pro wrestling for the win. <laughs> How do you feel about Jeff Garland singing in this in this movie? Because it becomes a, a major plot point, a, a major way in which they entertain the kids. And now that I, I kind of feel like our, our patron episode on uh, Bachelorette, kind of like up the game when it comes to discussing musical performances. Because after you've heard Adam Scott singing and singing badly, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's kind of like now the new, you know, that's what you compare it to. So as I was watching uh, Jeff Garland and listening to him play the guitar and just singing off key, my first thought was like, okay, well, this is not as bad as Adam Scott. But at the same time, I'm like, this is not good. Is it meant to be good or is it just meant to be entertaining? I think that it's just meant to be entertaining, in which case it's just achieving its goals. I mean I'm talking about just entertaining for the kids in the movie, but also entertaining to the audience. Uh, how do you feel about Jeff Garland as a musical performer?
0: Yeah, I think it's well, one, it's a step above the Adam Scott production because it's clear here that like you know it's like a music video that they went in the studio and Jeff Garland sang these and then they dubbed him over his, you know, voicing in the movie. Uh but yeah, it's it's meant just for entertainment purposes. It's a- everyone Knows the dad in the neighborhood that thinks he's more talented than he actually is. Or the one that doesn't take himself too seriously and knows he's not that good of a singer but still loves to belt it out. Like me at karaoke. Or like me dancing. I know I'm not a good dancer, but I'm still going to go for it. So... It makes it relatable to the parents in the audience. It makes it funny to the kids in the audience. And then for people like you and I watching, like we already mentioned, he belts out Surrender uh, in the third act of the movie. And it's awesome. (laughs) And that song's been stuck in my head since then. Jeff Garland gets us to a certain point. But what takes this movie over the top in terms of entertainment is that Steve Zahn returns. And becomes, you know, like we said, in order to be up to code, they have to have uh, an adult you know, supervisor for every five kids. So they have 12 kids, they need another one. Enter Steve Zahn, who they enlist. Now we learn a bit more about him. Julio, I bet you can relate to this on a, on a bigger level. We learn he's a big Trekkie. Uh, one of the kids <laughs> speaks Klingon to him, and they kind of have a back and forth about it. Uh, they try to paint him as like a dork or a nerd, you know, your prototypical Star Trek nerd, but man, he's good with kids and he brings a a new whole sense of control to daddy daycare that wasn't there before.
1: And he learned how to deal with kids by reading a Star Trek book. So it ties it all together. I mean, yes, he's, he's the nerdiest of them all, but I think that once the trio, becomes established and it's you know now you know it's garland murphy and zahn he becomes the heart of daddy daycare which i i appreciate a lot because you could just use steve zahn as a punchline but the fact that he eventually becomes kind of like the conscience of the operation in addition to being the one that is that truly knows what to do with kids and how to how to handle them uh, that was pretty good and on top of that he gets a hot mom at the end so a win overall a true win <laughs> a true win for trekkies everywhere
0: montage number two set to ballroom blitz Julio, I, I can't say that uh, Wayne's World has been dethroned. I will still always think of Wayne's World when I hear Ballroom Blitz, but <laughs> Daddy Daycare uh, now resides near the top of the list, but uh, just wasn't quite enough to dethrone Tia Carrera belting it out.
1: I really like Ballroom Blitz, too. I I just I haven't seen Wayne's World, so I can't judge.
0: We learned through this montage that Charlie is happy. He's found a calling, and it's these little kids, and you know they... Helping them grow and learn brings him such joy. So they're up to code. The inspector comes back to you know make sure everything's fine. This is where they uh, feel like they lose a kid. They feel everything's on the right path, and another complaint had been called in. So they want to make sure that it all goes swimmingly. This is when they learn that the kid dressed up like the Flash, that they lost him. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're looking around, scrambling. They're having the inspector entertain the kids. They end up finding the kid, and they... Basically, this is all to prove that they've made these kids so comfortable with being themselves that even this kid that's worn this Flash outfit the entire movie uh, is now comfortable enough with himself. They they didn't even recognize the little kid when they were in front of him. The reason I harp on this so long is because it's like the hardest I laughed in the movie besides the groin kick. So they see this kid and they ask, what's your name? Because they think it's a new kid. And he goes, Tony. And Jeff Garland says, oh, well, Flash's name was Tony. And Steve Zahn says, "Actually, the Flash's name was Wally West, and they just not that they like cut him off." It's, uh, from my understanding, Julio, that's not indeed the Flash's name, but uh, it's still a good joke.
1: Well, it is a Flash's name. Okay. First Flash is Barry Allen. Second Flash is Wally West.
0: Okay, so he wasn't
1: technically wrong. He wasn't wrong. In fact, he was just a, uh, he was just a young nerd instead of an older nerd that would <laughs> would call out the first uh, well actually okay now now if we want to get really nerdy barry allen is the second jay garrick is the first and wally west is the third so yeah i could have had a good conversation with uh steve Zahn. that's what i'm saying
0: so okay so he was probably just speaking to you know where he was in the comic at that point but
1: exactly yeah at the time that daddy daycare takes place wally west is the flash in the comics they hadn't brought back barry allen yet
0: it is genuinely a hilarious moment. His delivery of, like, the I'm annoyed that you said something wrong. Like, you know, the Adam Scott, another Adam Scott name drop, the thing on um, Parks and Rec about, oh, fuck, when someone says something wrong about Game of Thrones, he's like, you're so wrong, I'm not even going to correct you. And turns around again. He's like, actually, I'm going to have to, otherwise, it's going to bother me all day. That's like the tone Steve Zahn has here. The frustration and. You know, further annoyance that Eddie Murphy has for him being a nerd and just like shushes him. It's a very funny exchange, but like I said, it, it's all to play to this heartwarming moment that these three men have helped these kids, you know, come out of their shell, so to speak, very figuratively here, and it's it's all going so well.
1: This is also the the scene where you blink and you miss it, but uh, Jeff Garland pulls a Kurt Russell, and he, I guess, he goes halfway. Yeah, oh drag. yeah,
0: he looks like a midwestern grandma because one, of the <laughs> two of the kids, he's asleep and they put makeup on his face. He looks like he's brought like a, a hot dish or an apple crumble to uh, a picnic. <laughs> and it, it's it's good and you know gets the whole shocked reaction from Eddie Murphy, but because now they've gone to fourteen kids. They are told by the man from Child Services that they need, like, an actual facility now. They can't just operate it out of his home anymore. And so they start discussions of that. Doesn't Steve Zahn cite Star Trek V here?
1: Well, he says Space, The Final Frontier, which I guess, yeah, I mean, it's the name of the fifth movie. But I think he was just quoting the opening of Star Trek. (laughs) You know, if every Star Trek episode,
0: but it's a uh, it's a literal thing because there's a place called the Final Frontier, which is like an abandoned. It was like a shop, maybe like a comic shop or something that I knew that they could buy and use for it.
1: Yeah, because he says that he spent his childhood there. or He spent a lot of time there when he was a kid. This was a moment, maybe the most intriguing moment, in the movie character-wise, because uh, yeah, like you said, Eddie Murphy looks like he's happy, right? Like he there's this close-ups where he looks proud of what he's doing, but then there's also this sense of like I got the feeling of like does he really care? Or is it that he just doesn't want to lose to Angelica Houston, you know? Because Angelica Houston is the force, and he knows it. She's the force behind every every problem, you know. She keeps sending the inspector out there. She keeps trying to sabotage them. And uh, because of the way that we've seen him uh, earlier in the movie, where he was, you know, an advertising executive, so I, I know that he has to have a competitive streak. I really like that. The, I mean, it's not like the movie ever like really delves into it too much, but I appreciated that there was this moment where I'm like, okay, is it about the kids or is it about him? Either way, I'm in, you know, but it, I was I was glad that it wasn't as clear cut as other movies would have done.
0: Is it about the game or the money? And eventually it comes to realize it is these kids are the driving force. But now, you know, off what you're saying, it becomes clear to the audience that it has become a competition and about winning to Angelica Houston. Because it shows her, you know, kind of um, recapping the turn of events in her mind at her, at her desk, at uh, her academy, and you know, we need to figure out how to put a stop to this, she tells Shaw um, Bear, what's uh, Lacey, is that her name? Jenny in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has the the bad guy line. This is like some Inspector Gadget. Who's the bad guy in Inspector Gadget? Claw? Yeah.
1: It's a Dr. Claw, Mr. Claw?
0: I think Dr. Claw is that. Uh, yeah, and then she just says, they're selling fun. We can't compete with that. It's, it's <laughs> perfect. So they figure that they're going to cut off all the momentum that they have because they host this event that is like a fundraiser. It's like a carnival. Rock for Daddy Daycare. This is where we get uh, Surrender belted out by Jeff Garland. And looks like the Harvest Festival, if I can make another Parks and Rec reference in this episode. Uh, So they go there just to fuck shit up. Contrarians Corner, Real Talk, what have you, Julio. Not okay with them presenting Darth Maul as part of Star Trek canon.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was weird. But because they've done such a good job Establishing Steve Zahn as a knowledgeable nerd, I think that he was just expanding that kid's horizons. horizons. <laughs> yeah, because that kid's like super into Star Trek. It is a kid that speaks Klingon, so
0: basically I, I just showing tell, him like, a whole that, new the, world type thing.
1: Yeah, the look on Steve Zahn's face after the kid walks away with the Darth Maul painted on his face, <laughs> it he looks he looks like he's proud of himself because he's done something good. Uh, so I, I think that that was, that was intentional. I don't think that that was a mistake.
0: A knowing nod. He knew what he did.
1: I'm glad that you mentioned Inspector Gadget, though. And I don't know if you did it subconsciously or because you also thought about this. That uh, Angelica Houston and Lacey Sherbert, uh infiltrating the, the fundraiser, yes. they're dressed like Inspector Gadget.
0: They are. They have, like, the trench coat and the... The long-brimmed hats on. They just show up there to fuck shit up. They let the air out of the bounce house. They put cockroaches in the uh, all the food that they're selling. They have the groundskeeper. They bribe him to turn on the sprinklers. It's Just bad stuff. They, they ruin the day for everybody. And because of this, we find out that they didn't raise nearly enough money for it.
1: Yeah, so they can't afford uh, the final frontier, after all. The Enterprise must remain parked. This is uh, right before everything goes to shit, though. Maybe my favorite scene in the movie is when and we were talking about moments where we had laughed Alex and I laughed at this which is when Steve Zahn who's like on the booth where he's painting people uh-huh. somebody's mom mom of one of the kids but the, the hot mom Yeah, uh, she comes up to him and uh, they're talking about how there's a movie playing on Friday night and then she's like Logan's oh run. are you available on Friday night and he's like yeah sure he says so are we doing the whole thing like uh, dinner uh, bath and bed <laughs> because he's You think that she's asking him to babysit. And uh, she's like, no, I'm, uh, I'm asking you to go to the movie with me. And that whole thing was funny. And then, you know, Steve Zahn is acting all frazzled. Like he's not a hunk that could go out with this attractive young mother any day of the week.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point you brought up, Julio. Steve Zahn is definitely in that class with Rachel Lee Cook of the Turn of Millennium. The clearly attractive people that we're supposed to paint as, you know, nerds. Or, uh, uh, fuck, Linda Cardellini as uh, <laughs> Daphne in Scooby-Doo. No, she wasn't Daphne. She was um, Velma. Velma. Come on. These people are clearly hot. And Steve's on. yeah. Women would be aching to get with that. Just don't speak Klingon to them. Speak like a normal person. <laughs> and you'll be all right. <laughs> so they don't make the money. And Jeff Garland and Eddie Murphy, Charlie and Phil, realize it's time to return to the business world because uh, they get a call. You know they. Hey, we'll have you back. And it takes about thirty seconds because you know we're we're explaining the plot of this movie. An important thing to keep in mind, especially someone like me who likes things to be kept tight. This whole sabotaging of their fundraiser. There's there's nineteen minutes left in the movie when this happens. So you know it, the hits are coming. You gotta you gotta buckle up and pay attention. So they go back to work and they realize they don't want to be there. They'll take the risk of putting their own money up and investing in this daycare because they believe in it and because it brings them so much joy. Uh, of course, what spawns this and sh- triggers it, the finally the decision to make, is the the Oscar scene. I don't, I don't think necessarily for an actor, but the I, it would be the best original screenplay uh, clip that uh-huh. they show where the his little boy Ben is explaining, you know, I'll give all my toys away so we can get money so you can stay home with me. Like you said, we don't have kids, but we understand the bond there and the connection and what this little boy, you know, he doesn't even, you know, really fathom how the world works or he can't fathom or comprehend, but he's willing to give up all that he has just to spend time with his dad. I mean, anyone can relate to that.
1: I really appreciate it. I thought that when you said the best original scrimply, I thought you were specifically talking about the, the scene where Eddie Murphy quits because, and I know this is just our own baggage. So we bring to this, but I, Oh my no its said, this is not quite the I quit song, <laughs> but it's pretty good. You know, he, he says it multiple times. And then he goes to Jeff Garland to let him know that he quit. And he's like, you should quit too. You should quit. He keeps saying quit. And it was just uh, the joy in Eddie Murphy's face and the energy that he's exuding at this moment. He's so happy that, you know, he's doing the right thing. It's very rewarding because it's the level of energy that you have been getting from Eddie Murphy throughout the movie. You know, on purpose. Like we are saying, like he needed to tone himself down for the story to work. But this is the one moment that he comes really close to cutting loose. And it's just, it's a joy to watch. You know, he's just happy. He's like bursting out of his skin. It's it's awesome.
0: So Daddy Daycare is back in business. They go to Chapman Academy and they explain that they're open and they're going to take their kids back. I mean, I suppose there's some legalities to this, but, you know, let's not (laughs) let that get in the way. Angelica Houston's like, you haven't taught these kids anything. And this, that's not true. We, you know, it, apparently they taught one of these kids to read at some point in this movie, because that's one of the things they call out. But they say, you know, we love you kids and we want you back. So they all defect from the academy to Daddy Daycare, and then we see it thriving. It looks like, man, it, it looks like a, a McDonald's um, kids area from back in the '90s with the the tubes and all the slides and everything going on. It it just looks like a what. Eddie Murphy in this movie always needed and never knew that he did. And of course he gives Jenny a job there. She goes and with you know no income coming in from her pretentious academy now Angelica Houston has to be a traffic cop. Uh, and she gets it was just
1: a weird a weird career to step into from owning a childcare business.
0: <laughs> it's not a lateral cuz those things don't really run parallel to each other. It's just a <laughs> right. it's a hard right.
1: Maybe she was always doing that on the weekends and now she just goes full-time.
0: <laughs> so everything's great at Daddy Daycare, and then they get rid of Angelica Houston because she gets uh, my girl at the end. There's this <laughs> <laughs> horde of feral bees swarm her out of nowhere. It's uh, it's quite scary. She lived a life without joy, so it's kind of what she deserves at the end of the day.
1: What struck me the most about that final scene with the, the new Daddy Daycare, the revamped Daddy Daycare, is that... Uh, it's a daycare where the parents are still hanging out there which almost defeats the purpose of it being a daycare <laughs> it's, it's more of a you know just like an overall you know family hangout just bring your kid but you don't have to leave your kid you can just stick around and it's like a help Chuck us e. Cheese. take care of him yes exactly freaking we haven't even mentioned him but Kevin Nealon is there he shows up like a couple times during the movie and then he gets to come up and, in this final scene when Jeff Garland lands on him. It hits all the notes, this final sequence.
0: Yeah, it's one of the prototypical Kevin Nealon roles where he just is kind of there to have the same repetitive lines over and over again. Joe Dirt or Happy Gilmore it is not in terms of getting the most out of Kevin Nealon, but he's like the boss, uh, their former boss, who gives them shit for being losers now that they look after kids. And Yeah. <laughs> he gets what's coming to him as Jeff Garland drops the cannonball on him. Big senton bomb from the top <laughs> of the playscape. So as we've become accustomed to up until this point in the movie there's no better way to go out than with another jackson five banger i mean i'm telling you there was a sizable portion of this film's budget spent on the soundtrack and so abc takes us out i mean
1: yeah it's it's a perfect ending uh you can just see eddie murphy surveying his empire with a big smile on his face and as he can i guess he's doing the mental math how much money he's getting out of these people.
0: That should have been the last shot of the money is like his, uh, like the closing shot of Thriller where Michael Jackson's eyes flash like a, a zombie. His eyes just turn to dollar signs.
1: And, and he laughs with that Eddie Murphy laugh.
0: I thought you were talking about the Vincent Price. Ah, 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 ah. But no, yeah. Well oh, oh no, that would be creepy, Alex. would <laughs> no, be Eddie Murphy.
1: <laughs>
0: Perfect. Well, that was Daddy Daycare. That
1: was Daddy Daycare. Once again, repeat, not Daddy Day Camp.
0: KT and OT, I'll have you know, I went back and rewatched scenes of this movie after I watched it because IMDb <laughs> told me Rachel Harris is one of the extras in the office with them. And I went back and rewatched them to see if I could find her. And I could not. That will likely oh, be the last time I rewatch scenes from Daddy Daycare.
1: You got to frame by frame it.
0: Maybe in another life. Maybe we'll invent a <laughs> higher tier for movies like this for us to go back and revisit and break down like this is a Pruder film. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, I'm ready for real talk. Let's move her along. Flash! Oh my God! They vaporized him! All right, he couldn't have gotten too far. I'm gonna call the police. I'll call his parents. Leo, I mean, we're a beta I could sense him. Hey, which kid is this? I don't know. Hey, kid, what's your name? Tony. 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 Flash's name is Tony. Actually, Flash's name is Wally West. Hey, hey, hey! Hey, Tony, how come you're not wearing your Flash suit? I don't
1: want to be Flash
0: anymore. You don't want to be Flash? Who you wanna to be? Tony. You want did you hear that he wants to be, he Tony. Wants to be Tony? Oh, that's nice. You wanna to be Tony? That's great. Hey, Tony, have a have a cookie, have a fresh one.
1: And we are back. But before we get into real talk, it's time for P.P., our patron pitch. This is the segment where we tell patrons what they can expect on our patron feed and we let non-patrons know what they're missing out. So maybe this will convince them to become patrons. Uh, You can go to patreoncom prime to check out our tiers or different rewards. You'll see that we have content such as uh, all the deleted clips that don't make it into our episodes. We also have uh, exclusive episodes that are just for the patron feed. We just last month we had an episode about beautiful girls. This month TBD. It's uh, it's going to be picked by patron Chaz Fisher, who will also pick our bonus movie for the main feed uh, this month. Really, really curious what Chaz is gonna throw away. Also, like like this episode, uh, this was picked by uh, patrons KT and OT from the For Your Reference podcast. Uh so you you know, when you're a patron, you get to dictate a lot of what we do. <laughs> uh, and then of course we have Contrarian's After Hours. <music> That's the the after show where Alex and I just talk about things that we watched, things that we played, things that we've uh, done that might be of interest to our listeners, our patrons. So with that in mind, Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time?
0: It's been a while since we recorded one of these in full. Anyway, out of the whole cavalcade of movies I watched, uh, we will be talking about The Town. Yet another awards darling and very popular movie that's at least you know, what, seven years old, and I somehow went into it with no spoilers. So, I was very pleased with that, and I would like to speak to you about the town, and I would like to also speak to you about Ben Affleck, and if he really is all the things we've said, or if he's a great actor, and just try to kind of figure it out. (laughs)
1: Let's talk about Affleck. That's an evergreen subject matter, in Hollywood, and everywhere else. In life? In life. Just ask Jennifer Lopez.
0: Oh, it's older than seven years. I didn't realize that was 2010. For some reason, I thought it was 2013. I made it 11 years without having that shit spoiled. God bless, Julio. What are you bringing to the table?
1: Uh, well, Alex, I've been I've been cramming a lot of movies myself, uh, but I'm picking two documentaries. One is They'll Love Me When I'm Dead, which is the documentary about the making of The Other Side of the Wind, which is you might have heard about this the orson welles movie that netflix released last year a couple years ago it was his his last movie he 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 didn't see it released you know it was it was tangled and like the film was lost and somehow netflix finangled a way to just get it released like they they finished it and they released it and uh, they released alongside this documentary that basically tells the story of of how that movie was made so i'll tell you about about the documentary Because the documentary is much more interesting than the movie itself. I watched (laughs) the movie too, and it was just like, eh. Uh, But I might convince you to eventually watch at least one of them. Uh, And then I also have this documentary from, I pulled from my Criterion collection, which is, my Criterion collection has more movies that I haven't seen than the ones that I have. Mm. So I was able to knock one out of the way. Uh, It's called Camera Person. Okay. It's basically this documentarian that has made a movie out of little bits and pieces of stuff that she shot for other movies that didn't make it into the final cut. Interesting. Yeah, it's 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 a fascinating experiment. I was very taken by it. It's only like 90 minutes, or maybe like a hundred minutes, but it was it was really good. So I'll I'll tell you about that as well. So The Town, Ben Affleck, They'll Love Me When I'm Dead, and Camera Person. That is your after hours menu and it's as varied as ever. <laughs> Go to patreon.com slash contrarian prime and check out our tiers
0: for the price of a soda. You can have full access to the contrarians and then our special features that we offer our supplements. And of course, the more you contribute, the more that opens up to you and the ability to demand certain movies for us to cover. So head over For all of our patrons listening, we love y'all. We're taking applications and welcoming new ones, so head on over and check it out. Tell us what you think. And, of course, for those uh, patrons that we do have, if there's anything more you'd like or any ideas, always feel free to send them over. Uh, Yes. But not this movie again.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, you only get to request Daddy Daycare once.
0: (laughs) Use it wisely. And it was used wisely.
1: (laughs) Well... Uh, let's let's get into it, Alex. Let's go into real talk. How how do you want to tackle this this Eddie Murphy vehicle? Do you want to jump straight into the quotes, or do you have some sort of a mission statement that <laughs> you want to give us at the top of the hour here?
0: Yeah, I definitely don't have any kind of like uh, presentation or oratory to deliver, but it's um uh, when when's the last time I, movies are so cha- different now? But like I was trying to think about this today, like. I guess the Happy Madison shit is that kind of the the heir to this throne of talented people making bad movies for the sake of just like the child audience. Would that probably be the the closest thing these days? Yeah,
1: I think I, I think it's been concurrent, right? I mean, Happy Madison was doing its thing when this movie came out.
0: Uh, it seems like since then, though, they've leaned more into a child audience because Happy Madison existed, but it was like you know Grandma's Boy, and well, I guess. You can make fair. You can make the argument that Waterboy was like a kids movie type thing. But I don't know. I was just watching this and I was trying to remember. It, these were so popular in the early and mid 2000s. The famed comedic actors of the 90s making this shit just geared towards children. Hey, what do I know? Made Who else has done
1: that? I mean, I guess Sandler, right? Jim Carrey. Uh, yeah.
0: And uh, shit, I just had one on the tip of my tongue. It'll come back to me. But... Here we have Eddie Murphy making a lot of money off this. One of the things I did find, <laughs> I didn't realize Pluto Nash was such a monumental bomb. It was never uh, seen
1: it, they don't
0: even know what it's about. I haven't either. But The Adventures of Pluto Nash, released in 2002, had a budget of 100 million and made 7 million. Pam Greer was in it for crying out loud. <laughs> well,
1: that's pre Jackie Brown, Pam Greer, right? No. Post Jackie
0: Brown. Jackie Brown was 97.
1: Oh, that's right. You said Pluto Nash was around this time too. Oh yeah. man, that's
0: that, that's sad. <laughs> also had Jay Moore. So, you know it was the goods. <laughs> it was bringing bringing the goods. Uh I, I mean, we've talked about Eddie Murphy's trajectory uh, a a good bit. So, I think we'll try to focus just more on what this is here, but yes. Daddy daycare released in 2003 May 9th of 2003 like I said that very special weekend try to get in just as uh, some schools are letting out but I guess it's more of the idea of that first weekend in May is always a big one uh, there's something about those first few weekends in May where it's these movies where the idea behind the studio is like well it's you know kind of technically summer or like the prelude to summer but we don't have enough faith in these movies to compete against the juggernauts of the summer, so let's try to just get it out first, but we can still kind of market it as a summer movie type deal. So there's like a whole idea behind it, and I could definitely see that uh, behind this and X-Men Origins Wolverine, because I would have wanted to just get that out of the way as quick as possible if that was me also. As I mentioned, a successful box office return of over $160 but critics were not so pleased as they... Uh, amass a 27% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But that means there's a decent amount of people, shockingly more than I expected, that I enjoyed it, Julio. So what were, what were the positives about this movie?
1: Uh, yeah, there's there's a few, a few fresh red tomatoes in the Rotten Tomatoes website. For example, Daniel M. Kimmel. I don't know if there's any relation to Jimmy Kimmel, <laughs> but he's from the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. And he says, Daddy Daycare just wants to make you laugh. And make your kids laugh, too. Sure. I think it also wants to make money. But yes. It probably wants to make you laugh a little bit along the way. Uh, Elias Savada from Nitrate Online says, Daddy daycare is not toddlers of the damned. It's toddlers of the damned funny.
0: <laughs> Fine.
1: Uh, Elias, what is this? <laughs> um this one doesn't have, it's just the name of the publication. The Atlanta Journal Constitution says, It's Jackass for the pre juvie crowd. Uh,
0: Do you see a
1: lot of correlation between Daddy Daycare and Jackass?
0: I'd see almost none. Like, did he think that the stunts were real? Hey, <laughs>
1: I'm Eddie Murphy.
0: Welcome to Daddy Daycare.
1: <laughs> uh, and finally, there's a, here's a rotten quote that I just, I'm putting here at the end because it's just such a. Like, I think it encompasses a lot of what uh, discussions surrounding this type of movie would be, uh, which is uh, from Mark Palermo from the coast, Halifax, Nova Scotia. He says, Daddy Daycare is ground zero in the new breed of awful family movies. Entertainment designed for parents who will take their kids to anything that shuts them up for 90 minutes.
0: Damn.
1: (laughs) And that is honestly, that is the main. uh, Forget about the quality of the movie. Daddy Daycare could be a masterpiece or it could be like the worst of the worst. But yeah. I, that is something that I've gathered. and I mean, I don't think that you – there's no requirement that, oh, well, you need to have worked in the movie theater to get this experience. But it definitely, uh, I think, makes it more accessible and enhances its effects, which is just that sense of, man – there's a very specific group of parents, and there's lots of them, that will just take their kids to watch anything. Yep. It doesn't matter because it's just like what that guy said. All that matters is that we're getting out of the house, and you guys are going to be sitting in silence for 90 minutes. That's that's the goal. They need a break, and the break is taking them to the movie theater. Uh, there's a worse type of parent which takes the kids to the movie theater and just leaves them there for 90 minutes. Yeah. Uh, but but the point is, yeah, th- th- I, I you know without even getting yet into where where uh, that daycare falls as far as quality, I I think it definitely is part of those movies that are marketed to parents, uh, consciously or subconsciously as babysitters. Come let as, yeah. It's a break.
0: Come let these fuckers get their energy out.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's like you know there's there's shenanigans. There's a lot of like funny pratfalls in it. And it's not rated R. It's not even rated PG thirteen. So you know how bad can it be? Yeah, let's take the kids out. That is uh, that is everything a movie, in the trailer is, is designed
0: to make the kids go. I want to go do that. or I want to go see that. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like it looks like a good time. In uh so so I I feel like I am very familiar with that concept with that type of movie. Like those the are movies Smurfs that I've movies. dealt. You know, weekend in and weekend out <laughs> during the worst times at the movie theater. And I think that you have as well. So, I mean, I imagine that when Confirmed. you were watching this, you were, like, in the back of your head, you're like, yeah, that is that kind of movie. You mm-hmm. know, it's not just that what the cleanup was afterwards, but just the that general sense of, you know, like, if you say, just to, to turn the mirror on myself, right, I, I'll watch almost anything that Marvel puts out. There are parents that will just take their kids to watch almost anything that's marketed as a kid-friendly movie. Yeah. So, uh, I I think that that daycare definitely falls there uh, under that. I mean, I don't know how many true Eddie Murphy fans went to watch this.
0: I mean, what a fascinating filmography that man has. It's so hard to like talk about Eddie Murphy because there's to me there's like multiple there's levels to this shit, but there's just different Eddie Murphys like the awesome dude from Forty Eight Hours and Beverly Hills Cop, and you know the mid to late eighties. Eddie Murphy, you know, raw and delirious and all that shit. And then there's the beginning of what he became really known for with the first 90 professor from the mid-90s, which I've said mm-hmm. it could just be nostalgia and I, I just loved it so much when I was a kid, but I have rewatched it as an adult. It's still fucking funny. But how much mo- money did that movie make? That like definitely opened up a, a new avenue for him and where it seemed like he... Stopped. Yeah, that movie made almost three hundred million dollars in nineteen ninety six. It stopped being you know, the argument of the craft versus you know the, the, the game type thing. So it really seemed like it stopped uh he became more focused with just becoming insanely rich, which is fine because he is. But you know I mean, he's
1: he has a lot of kids, doesn't he?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, we're we're skipping over a lot here. It's like an oversimplification of, and again, it's just my read on it. Because you know, Mulan was cool, and obviously, the first. I think I remember the second Trek being fantastic. I remember the first one mm-hmm. being great, and obviously, he was a huge part of that. Bowfinger is kind of a underrated movie. I think we've talked about that before, you and I.
1: Oh yeah, I agree. I agree. And and well, you know, I don't know what point like Dreamgirls happened, but it was was How, it after
0: this? Yeah, it was a couple years after this. Okay. I forgot I made the Haunted Mansion in 2003 as well, which personally, just reading that makes me sad and makes me wish I was at Disney World to go on the Haunted Mansion ride right now. <laughs> oh, that's that's right. I was like, why? I guess this was coming off the tales of the first Pirates of the Caribbean. Yep. Where they just thought, hey, we can turn all of our original rides into full length motion pictures. <laughs>
1: anyway we cracked the formula
0: <laughs> like I said there's a there's a huge over we're, we're looking over uh, overlooking a lot with Eddie Murphy too because then there was that very strange uh, situation with like SNL where he resented what happened in that infamous joke from David Spade and he swore him off forever and it really seemed like he had this massive chip on his shoulder where he wanted to you know, kind of create this empire, both monetarily, but also with entries in his filmography. And, uh, you know, if there was ever a really good, you know, biography or uh, an a A&E biography, I mean by that, like a bio uh, a documentary or a... um An E! Hollywood like, story? Yeah, or like an autobiography or even just a, you know, a composite piece like this Chris Farley book I'm reading right now, like a... Entry type uh, biography. It'd be interesting because I really feel that that is one part of his story that certainly now is not known and is not part of his narrative any longer because, one, he went back to SNL at their 40th anniversary special and, yeah, it means so much to me to be here, that type of thing. And, uh, two, most people aren't as old as you and I, Julio, or if they are, they, don't, <laughs> they don't care about that shit anymore. But to me, that is, like the most fascinating thing behind, for me, like me trying to get into his head and think about what drove him through this time period. We have already had a much deeper discussion than Daddy Daycare warrants at all, and we haven't even really started talking about the movie yet.
1: (laughs) But before we move on to the movie, I would like to clarify. I think that many people are not as old as you and I are, (laughs) but I wouldn't say most people (laughs) are as
0: old. I could have formulated that better. Most people that would potentially have a discussion about Eddie Murphy's career from 2003 on <laughs> are younger than us and don't care about the SNL backstory. It's a very, I I can get what I'm trying to get across here, but yeah, I, we're still young, Julio, young at heart. Uh, looks like daddy daycare really cleaned up on its day. It came uh, one week after X2. That was the first Friday mm-hmm. in May. So, X-Men making a habit of getting in there first. Daddy Daycare came out May 9th along with The Man on the Train, which I am not familiar with at all. No and idea. then the, I've never seen it, but it's uh, like a romantic comedy with uh, Rachel Weisz and Paul Rudd called The Shape of Things.
1: Well, I mean, I'm sold on the cast alone, and uh, I'm sure it's good counter-programming to Daddy Daycare.
0: It was the, yeah, the Theater 14. Was- <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: for the older crowd
0: it's so funny you know and i haven't worked at the theater in seven years now but it's just so funny watching this and remembering movies like this and you and i talking about it like those babysitter movies like you said and i can just immediately put myself back in like at the box office looking at how many theaters are sold out of it and just dreading what, like the cleanup process and you know making sure everything's stocked it's gonna be it's funny how There's probably, like, two people listening to this that know what the fuck we're talking about, but that's how it goes.
1: Everybody else is like, what's the big deal? It's just a lame Eddie Murphy movie.
0: (laughs) It's like, no, if you had lived through some of the traumatic events like we did. It's so funny because, like, the ones that always come to mind for me that were, like, the worst to deal with were the really shitty ones. Whereas I know in reality, like, the Pixar movies were typically the worst. but. Mm -hmm. I give like Wally, I remember being horrific at my uh, theater in Denton, but in my mind, Wally's an incredible film, so I don't associate it with anything bad, but uh, Puss in Boots and uh, (laughs) like I mentioned, the Smurf movies and like those Trolls movies, just walking in and it was like uh, Eddie Murphy walking into the bathroom where the the score from Psycho plays because that's what Hitchcock, his whole career was (laughs) built for.
1: How crazy is it that we made it through all of Contrarian's Corner? We didn't reference that, we didn't acknowledge that scene, which is it was the scene in the trailer.
0: Yes, yeah, I'm too old to try to be to force positivity about poop humor and toilet humor. If if it's gonna be it, it needs to actually be jackass where it is funny. But God, I wasn't kidding about the budget, the music budget for this being so high. I have one note in my notes that said Joey Ramone did not die for this. And then a few few lines down, it says, Alfred Hitchcock did not die for this. And see, that is exactly what we're talking about, what one of those reviews called out. There's shit in there specifically to make the parents laugh so they don't feel like they're wasting their time being there.
1: Right. The the kids have no idea that that's the psycho score.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I didn't realize the commercialization of the Ramones had started that early, but I I guess it did. (laughs) We're a few years off from tweens you're wearing Ramones T-shirts, you know, buying them at Target and shit. But it started here with Eddie Murphy. Oh man, I, I mean, we kind of jumped into the whole Eddie Murphy discussion here, so let's put a pin on that and then just kind of let's pull back, talk about this movie. It's not as offensively bad as I expected it to be. It's exactly what I expected it to be. Before we recorded, you and I were talking about the Grown Ups movies. Those are so much more profoundly offensive and bad to me than I would have expected going in. Or the first one. I haven't seen the second one. But I remember having to screen the first one. And it was so much worse and lazy. And like I said, just it offended me on a very high level that someone financed that. And that someone got credit for writing that script. This is like, yeah, it's exactly what... I would expect it to be it's Eddie Murphy and Jeff Garland running a daycare and their wacky friend is Steve Zon and he learns the true <laughs> meaning of life is to make children happy. That's I, I so for you was it worse than you expected or as bad as you expected? Uh, no, I had
1: a similar experience as yours. I I was expecting much worse. Because the one thing I remembered was that moment in the trailer where Uh, Eddie Murphy opens the door, and he's just looking everywhere in the bathroom, and, you know, the implication is that there's shit everywhere, and I was (laughs) like, man, 90 minutes of that is going to be rough, but that's actually kind of like a, uh, that's probably the grossest thing that happens in the movie, and it's just like that one segment that I can think of.
0: Yeah, the one kid, like, farts and stuff, but it's, uh, well, there's the part where, too, where Jeff Garland, like, tries to change the baby, and the baby pees on him.
1: But but that's all part of that one sequence, basically. Right? Oh, it's a right. sequence that right. starts. Yeah. yeah, it starts with, the, with with Jeff Garland's kid kind of like you know moving and farting and whatever, and then that leads into the flashback to the one time that he tried to change his diaper, and that leads to Eddie Murphy taking the kid to the bathroom. So that that stretch of like I don't know seven minutes or whatever that is that is the one part of the movie that heavily focuses on bodily fluid humor. But that that's kind of it, and the, and then the, most of it is just kind of you know. It's stuff tame. that didn't make me laugh, but didn't make me turn away. I mean, it goes a long way to, to like the actors. I like Jeff Garland. I love Steve Zahn. Yeah. Uh, and and Eddie Murphy, I was just kind of fascinated by how toned down he was. Yeah. I yeah. It's it, it wasn't necessarily making the movie better, but it was making me it was keeping me interested because I was wondering if he was going to at some point explode right into just like more of an Eddie Murphy that, that that I'm familiar with but he never really lets go you know what'm i talking about like even when he's playing like he never becomes a modern mouth I guess and yeah. again I don't think that that's necessarily a better use of uh, of Eddie Murphy like I, I probably would have had more fun if it was Eddie Murphy being more of an Eddie Murphy character where he's just, like, really sassy and really, like, a smart ass and whatever. But it was unusual enough to see Eddie Murphy playing a regular dude that it, that also carried me through the movie, you know? It, it That's the kind of thing that wears off really quickly, though. Like, I wouldn't watch this a second time, but if I did, that's not going to amuse me, seeing a, a really calm Eddie Murphy. Uh, but, you know, everybody else, Jeff Garland, uh, Angelica Houston... Regina King. It was it's just one of those things where like, okay, the cast will take me through most of it and I, I laughed every now and then. I had maybe like three or four actual like laugh out loud moments.
0: Jeff Garland getting kicked in the dick was funny. <laughs> Sorry. That that shit's always <laughs> that, gonna be. That's me your laugh. thing. Uh the thing about the Steve Zahn correcting the the flash, that was legitimately funny. That made me laugh. How about when he got the date? Yeah, that that was okay. It, again, like citing Logan's run, like, well that was just put in there for the dad's watching in the audience uh the yes. the part where he was referencing some specific episode of star trek and he asked eddie murphy if he saw that and he's like no i missed that one and then he turned to jeff garland jeff garland goes i was with him not watching it and yep <laughs> i thought that was pretty funny too again not enough for me to feel like i didn't well, for the podcast, uh, I wouldn't say I wasted my time, but you know, if I had just watched this on my own, there wasn't enough to carry it to make me feel like it was worth the time I spent watching it. But again, it's an hour and twenty nine minutes. Angelica Houston seems to be just trying, so I was like, "All right." I it was one of those. I weird think things she's the like- one that
1: comes across the worst, though, for me. Not in like she's putting on a bad performance; it's just as in like she feels so out of place, like. I was watching the movie, and she's the one actress where I was like, "Why are you here? Why are you doing this? <laughs> this yeah. is so beneath you." Yeah, absolutely. and it made me wonder what was going on in her life that would make her take this project.
0: To me, it, the entire time I was like, "Okay, did you recently have like a grandson that turned seven? Like, what was the idea behind this? Because it definitely reeked of like, uh, I made this for like a personal reason. Because again, she doesn't seem like unhappy. It's not like." Mm-hmm. Some of those Robert De Niro movies we've talked about, where he just seems like he does not want to be there, uh, and and that's not the case here. She seems like she's just going along with it, having a good time. But there has she to be dresses like Inspector Gadget, I and mean, she's game. <laughs> there has to be some something more behind it. Yeah, it wasn't like she showed up like fucking um, Brando, like thirty pounds overweight, <laughs> and refused to learn her lines. She was just like, yeah, let's do whatever. But I, I'm sure there's a there's a backstory to it. And then Steve Zahn, man. I, every time I see him I'm like, why why wasn't more of him used? That's also just still writing 20 years of goodwill off of uh that thing you do and uh saving Silverman for me.
1: He's yeah, he's he's really good and he deserves I don't know. I I was going to say he deserves a better career than he has, but actually I don't know about that. He Okay, so he's not in any like heavy hitters, right? He never
0: I've never seen that war movie he was in with Christian Bale, but everyone said he was great in it. I'm sure he is.
1: I I, I think he's. I've never seen him be bad in a movie, uh, but I've Good seen point. him in pretty terrible movies. You know, uh, I, and I've seen movies that just don't know what to do with him. He is not that I've ever sat and watched him pre- beginning to it, but I know he's in those. Uh, oh God, what they're called? Uh, Diary, Diary of, of a Wimpy Kid. Kid. I yeah. think he plays the dad in those movies, and it's just w- one of those where like why would you waste Steve Zahn on this? But at the same time, I'm like, I'm not going to begrudge Steve Zahn going after that paycheck. You know, yeah. They need the quirky dad, and he can play it. But you you kind of wish that he was doing more. But at the same time, I, I know last time I looked at his filmography, it's like he's done everything. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's played so many different characters in so many different types of movies. So,
0: Jeff Garland also, much like um, The Rocker, not to the same extent as The Rocker. Like I, I didn't think he was as good in this Mm-mm. but at the same time yeah. he has some some good moments and his like smile is infectious and i don't mean just kind of like the that, that cliche the way that cliche works of he smiles i smile it's his smile in this is one of like almost self-awareness of how stupid the movie is and so <laughs> like that whole scene where he's got his face made up with the the rouge and the makeup and it's like that dumb smile on his face when he's staring at the uh child protective services guy it's so funny just because it looks so preposterous and he's smiling with this sense of i understand how preposterous this is so it's okay to laugh at me i know i'm way overanalyzing uh, a movie of this nature <laughs> But it's like one of those things, it's me trying to pay a compliment to him because he's one of those guys that I I think self-aware is a good way to describe it. And he always really seems to, in a certain way, give his all for a performance, at least in what I've seen him in. And so he would definitely be the reason I tell people, yeah, it's it's worth seeing because Jeff Garland's funny. He gets kicked in the nuts and, you know does a lot of funny mannerisms that being said there's still some dialogue that's in the script between him and eddie murphy that just no one could deliver you know we were talking about the happening on the live stream some scripts are just so bad that the best of the best couldn't even pull it off and while there are moments of genuine comedy in this with uh, jeff garland some of the dialogue is just so poor that there's no saving it here's here's a crazy
1: idea that i'm gonna pitch you alex Uh oh. same movie but you swap them and you have Jeff Garland playing Charlie and Eddie Murphy playing the Jeff Garland character.
0: I I am in 100%. <laughs>
1: right? I think that, I feel like that plays to their strengths a lot better.
0: Yeah, I mean it would never happen because Eddie has to be the lead, but that is exactly right. And that's that's something too, you know, we talk about the we, we may have talked about this. It's been so many years since we did our 48 hours episodes, but that's also one of the what ifs about Eddie Murphy's career. He got in his mind, I am the star, I am the lead, I steer the ship, whatever I do. I guess Dream Dreamgirls, w- would that be almost just like a glorified cameo, in your opinion, his performance in Dream Girls?
1: Nah, he has a couple of songs. I would say he, I mean, he's definitely not, uh, I was going to say not part of the main cast, but no, he, he is. He's just kind of like a smaller, he's like, in that ensemble, he's the Ethan Embry. You know, of that thing you do? Or like he's part of the band, but he's the the least developed character in the band.
0: So with the exception of that detour, yeah. Eddie Murphy's career was I'm the star. And obviously that is uh, for monetary purposes, that's been brilliant. It's worked out well for him. He's made movies that have bombed, but he he's always getting that cheddar. So God bless him. But selfishly, and we talk about this with so many actors that we analyze, and we just say like, yes, but like for what I want, I think it'd be more interesting. And you bring up the brilliant point of like, man, thinking about Eddie Murphy, you know, taking a step back and having the willingness to play like the side character, uh, mm-hmm. especially in a comedy. Is such a tantalizing thing, uh, you know. An example I had, I was like, "Here's an example," but it's two Tarantino movies, um, but it's their prime examples. I'll just say Brad Pitt and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because you think of Brad Pitt as the lead in everything, uh, and I guess you could argue he shares the screen with uh, Leo in that a lot. So let's just say then, in that case, Leo in uh, Django. Django, Django. Thank you. You have this actor of just, you know, like black hole appeal like in terms of it, everything ends up getting sucked in by it because it's such a huge star type thing but he's only in this movie for this short period and when it's over you remember him so much more. That's unfortunately what a big part of Eddie Murphy's detriment again rich as fuck one of the biggest celebrities in the world but why a generation has grown to view him one way as opposed to the preceding one that knew he was a legitimate star and kind mm-hmm. of Hit a skid, is that he sacrifices that ability to be that star when he dominates everything? Um, and again, I'm not saying that in this fantasy daddy daycare we pitch that he would have been walking away, you know, with, you know, revered as one of the great uh, comedic performances or anything like that of hit the the lifetime. Uh, but it's such an interesting thing to think about if he had just taken a step back and then became the side character and just dominated. It's like the reverse Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, man. Stay <laughs> stay the side character. You do really well at that. When you become the lead, hmm, I don't want it anymore. With Eddie Murphy, it's the, like, I want you as the side character, man. I see a lot of uh, promise in you here as the lead, but give it a shot. Even with that movie Tower Heist we mentioned earlier, I think he's kind of a side character, but as soon as he gets introduced, it becomes the Eddie Murphy show. And I remember, like, he was... It was if not top billing, it was Ben Stiller and then Eddie Murphy. So he has his mind made up about what he wants to be, but it's obvious based on what we're talking about. And even just the fact that you brought that up, that it's probably he'll go down as like a, what if in terms of if he had the ability to play more as an ensemble player. And I, you know, I use that expression, move to the side and it's not really what I mean. It's just be part of an ensemble. You don't have to dominate because the script really seems like it gives Jeff Garland and Steve Zahn's characters the high comedic notes, and they're really not asking mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy to do much. They're like, hey, just be here. Yeah, yeah they, they they basically,
1: they're just counting on him, on, on the star power to just carry you through the Eddie Murphy scenes. You know, he gets the emotional moments with the kids, but other than him walking into that bathroom, I can't think of another big moment for him that that where he is actually, like, funny funny you know uh he does not have the spandex all spandex (laughs) no he has i i liked his scene where he quits you know yeah Yeah. but also i I was just cracking myself up because i was picturing the i quit i quit i quit so (laughs) it's now that's just built in it's in my brain forever uh i think it's crazy that, that you're right that there's a whole generation of people that grew up with this eddie murphy and now they may be experiencing like the other Eddie Murphy because, you know, he's having this sort of resurgence right now. He did Dolomite is My Name uh, last year, a couple of years ago, and it was kind of like a big hit. And it was him, you know, playing a character in a movie that was R rated, that was not aimed at kids at all. And it was, you know, it was him like flexing some muscles that I don't think he had flexed uh, very often in a long time. So that was cool. And then I haven't seen the new, the, the Coming to America sequel. I think it's gotten mixed reviews at best but I don't know I don't know if that's you know if that's him still like trying something that didn't quite work out or if it's just him kind of like watering down what worked before and then you know he was on SNL just recently and I think that that was you know that Eddie Murphy from the most recent SNL is not the Eddie Murphy that's on Daddy Daycare or The Haunted Mansion or uh, Meet Dave (laughs) you know any of those movies so it's it would be interesting that for some people You know, people that are old enough to remember him doing stand-up and those first movies from the 80s, he's like, oh, he's coming back to that. Whereas, like, for people that grew up with him in the movies that he did in the 2000s, they're like, wow, what the hell is he doing now?
0: (laughs) You know, uh, I'm just thinking about this now because there's probably never going to be another platform for us to discuss this unless one of our patrons tells us to. But uh, are you familiar with the – Meet Dave. Thank you, Chaz. (laughs) No. No. a Thousand Words, the movie he did in 2012. Are you familiar with that? Uh,
1: I know the concept. Like, he he, he can only speak a thousand words, right? He has to watch what he says because he runs out of words.
0: Yeah. So, basically, he has a thousand words to say. And then when those thousand words are said, he dies. And oh, I didn't know that part. <laughs> and the his buddy in that is Clark Duke. So, you really know what time period it was when that came out. Hey. Anyway. There's the scene in A Thousand Words that I remember watching because it was uh, I was closing the theater and it was no tickets sold to the last showing of that. So I just went in, you know, made sure everything was fine so I could shut down that theater. And there is a scene in that movie that I do not know specifically the context of, but What happens is he's very emotionally distraught about something. Something goes wrong, and I guess he no longer has the will to live or sees the will to live. And he goes home to his house, and he puts on just, you know, an album. I can't even remember what it is. But he starts, like, angrily singing along to it out loud. So he's, like, wasting all these words. And, like, Clark Duke's there, like, begging him to stop. And it's the only scene I've seen in that movie, and it's... Pretty good for what it is, and especially for what like I knew about the movie. And I just imagine in my mind everything else that surrounds it, just like whatever the opposite of a shit sandwich is. The bread's made of shit, and then the middle is fine, (laughs) or this one scene is fine. It's like the one slice of bologna that you get on this you know shit bread sandwich. So anyway, my point is, even in these like awful movies, he did, he'd still found a way, and he's like really convincing in it, and he's like there's like serious gusto behind what he says. Uh, my point is, he's still there. He still resides in there. He chooses when to turn it on and turn it off. We don't really get any of that here, and that's this movie was kind of a double-edged sword for me because in the end, it wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be, and then at the same time, there was nothing for me to walk away and just be like, "Man, Eddie Murphy in this movie has this one moment of brilliance," or you know, he's, you know, he's still Eddie Murphy because it's just he is just completely just neutral. Yep. So it's a, a weird tale. I expected myself to dislike it like heavily and be mad and come into it. Like I would after a grown ups movie or something like that, or most, you know, happy Madison movies of the past 20 years. But, um, Oh God, a thousand words has a 0% rating on rotten tomatoes. (laughs) So no one else cared enough for that one scene to be okay with it. <laughs> uh we talked about Jeff Garland, Steve's on. I mean Regina King, for as little as she does in it, again just comes across as a polished actress. Nothing she does seems outlandish or silly.
1: Actually, it was weird that Regina King disappeared from the movie until you know, like she's there at the very beginning, and you think that she's gonna play a bigger role, either working against the idea of them running the daycare or helping them but really after a while she just goes away and comes back at the very end which you know now that i know like i have the chronology right like that's really weird that they wouldn't give her more to do after you know she was in jerry Maguire, if nothing else
0: yeah yeah
1: but then they didn't give much relationship either so
0: well she hadn't yet been in mean girls so
1: but lost in space man
0: Yeah, I'm just going through my notes here, and there are like there's so much shit in the plot. Like at the end, we're like, we taught this girl how to read. When? It's been been like a week. If we're following like based on you know outfits that fuckers are wearing in this. (laughs) Uh yeah, I mean it's it is what it is. My my thought is that you know coming off the heels of the happening. It really makes you think. It puts things in perspective. <laughs> but, you know, we, we've we agreed upon our three worst movies that we've covered, or the three worst movies that we've covered. We did not make them. Uh, are Geely, Battlefield Earth, and Showgirls, correct? That's what we agreed upon?
1: That's correct. Christmas with the Cranks has been moved up.
0: And so in thinking about that, and then this movie here, because I think anyone listening to this would expect us to treat this as one of the worst we've done. And it took me a long time just because of how much I detested it to appreciate this about Christmas with the Cranks. And it's something that I was I had a moment of clarity, as Jules would say, about uh, this. I can see how someone went into this movie. And by someone, I could even mean a fucking five-year-old kid. I can understand how someone could watch this and get enjoyment out of it just like with Christmas with the cranks I can understand how someone went and saw exactly what they were expecting to see and that entertained them that uh, the Christmas with the cranks rule applies to daddy daycare whereas with the three I mentioned GLA showgirls and um, Battlefield Earth I cannot understand how someone enjoys that, and I cannot understand how someone went and said, yeah, this is exactly what I was expecting, and it was great. So because of that, I can't hold Daddy Daycare at the same level. As bad as it may be, or just even blot as it may be, I cannot hold it with the same in the same contempt that I would for those other movies or, like I mentioned, the Happy Madison things. Does that make sense, what I'm saying?
1: Oh, yeah, 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 because I, I'm, I'm kind of there with you, you know, and to me it's just one of those, like – it was not as bad as the trailer made it out to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that made a huge difference. It was not a series of scenes like the bathroom scene.
0: Yeah, it wasn't much of anything. It was definitely a lazily made film, uh, with some, you know, genuineness from some of the actors. And I think it was clear that again, Jeff Garland, He's going to become you know if there's ever a contrarians Mount Rushmore, him and. Ethan Embry are going to be up there first but <laughs> it seems like in movies like this you find an actor a performance like that and Steve Zahn was obviously just being as goofy as possible where they they clearly go into it knowing how silly it is and knowing exactly what they're doing uh, nothing's worse than seeing a movie like this and like um, that Taylor Lautner fella the hot guy from Twilight I always yep. thought that about him like he really thought he was making you know Casablanca with those Twilight movies whereas Robert Pattinson was just like I'm hot. I'm getting paid a shit ton of money. Trust me. I'm going to make a lot better stuff down the road. So Someday I'll be Batman. I forget. I keep forgetting that's coming. So my point being here, Jeff Garland, Steve Zahn, I mean, and, and, and Eddie Murphy, it seems to me he doesn't really care about this, but they knew how silly it was. So it's like, there's no point in treating this with any sense of like anger. Let's just have fun doing it. And, and you know, to the plus side of that also, you don't have someone like a, a Lacey uh, Chaubert... Trying to act with a capital A C T because you know when you see movies like this, it was way, especially in the nineties, the the bad guys are the rich kids. The way like they would act, and you know you have these stage (laughs) parents really gassing these kids up to act, and it becomes so cringeworthy. (laughs) There's really none of that in this, and so I am disappointed that I can't talk more shit about this movie. (laughs) That is not a recommendation, by the way. What is your score? Like a D. It's uh If I ever have kids, this isn't the kind of movie that I'm gonna throw on for them. They're gonna be watching Pixar, Sandlot, Batman: The Animated Series. I mean, you can even show them the. You can show like an eight year old the Joel Schumacher Batman movies, but. Uh,
1: eh. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you have to be there with them to 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 answer the the key questions. What's the deal with Nicole Kidman? Yeah. Why is she getting so close to Batman?
0: Maybe maybe up it to about ten or so you gotta slap the R rating on the fucking Burton ones. Sixteen-year-old kid, what's wrong with Danny DeVito? <laughs> so anyway, it's it's a D for the reasons I've said, and the more we do this, the more episodes we put under our belt here. I'm realizing the criteria we grade on of like trying to be across the board and also kind of expose the issues with Rotten Tomatoes and like the the badness of it all. This is not a twenty-seven percent. The same way some of those other movies we've done is. It's just like, mm-hmm. eh, it's kids will like it. Uh, you know, it's a it's a very bland kids movie. And even as an adult, one you'll get a few laughs out of it, and two, it's not long enough to feel like you wasted your time. So it's still a D. It's not a well written movie. It's not particularly a well made movie there's just some flashes of fun acting in it, but it's, it's something I have no interest in watching again. But at the same time I came into this, I was like kind of dreading this. I put off watching the movie until today. Um, and I had like free time over the weekend, but I, I expected some grownups level shit. And when I didn't yeah. get that, I was just kind of like, huh. So it was the Logan. So this is what it feels like. <laughs> so a D for me. I, I've dominated a lot of this discussion, Julio. So if you you know, just kind of summarize your feelings on this for me. I think we're in pretty heavy agreement.
1: Yeah, we're actually pretty much in sync. Uh, I think that the only thing I would add is that I like I feel the same way as you do. I I think that if I were to, if I was more familiar, if I put myself through this this era of Eddie Murphy movies I think that maybe the novelty of just seeing an Eddie Murphy kids movie would wear off really quickly and maybe I would appreciate this movie less you know it's like if I was if I was to marathon like Meet Dave and A Thousand Words and The Haunted Mansion all, all that stuff you know and this was thrown in the, in there uh, like I said in Contreras Corner right a, 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 a parent that just watches kids movies I think that Daddy Daycare because it hits so many of those notes, regardless of quality, would be just like, oh, man, more of this. (laughs) Because it doesn't really do anything to stand out. But because I don't have that experience, to me, it's just like, oh, yeah, it's a bland movie, but I don't watch too many of these. So I'm okay. I can be generous to it. It's funny because it it doesn't feel good enough for two stars, but one and a half stars feels too mean to it. But ultimately, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. So I have to go with one and a half stars.
0: Man, I didn't even think about that because you and I both are – nothing wrong with having kids, but in Julio and Amai's opinion, we're we're doing all right without them. Uh, eh, but, like, <laughs> my point is I, I've known parents that have had to watch, like, Toy Story 50 times because their kids love it. I'm now – I never even thought about – and that's because I don't have kids. I don't think about these type of things. There's the parents out there somewhere that have had to watch Daddy Daycare 100 times because it's their kid's favorite movie. So, thoughts and prayers to all of those. Here's a a good closing button for this segment, Alex. Let's do it.
1: Uh, Did you know that the sequel, Daddy Day Camp, like we said, features Cuba Gooding Jr.? He's playing Charlie Hinton. He's playing the Eddie Murphy character. What? Yep. I'm looking at the IMDb. They recast Charlie, and they recast Phil, who's played now by Paul Ray, Instead of uh, Jeff Garland. Who the hell's Paul Ray? I don't know. Some dude. He he, he looks kind of mad in his IMDb picture. I so. bet he is. And they, they also recast Regina King because Kim Hinton is played by Tamala Jones. She looks happier, but she's no Regina King. And they didn't even, I guess they wrote Steve Zahn out of the movie because I don't see Marvin anywhere in the oh, credits. Oh, man.
0: And Char- uh, Lachlan Monroe is Charlie's nemesis. He's the bad guy. And I, good God. Oh, it made eighteen million dollars. What are you gonna do? Hey,
1: there's the market. All those people that just want their kids to shut up for ninety minutes.
0: Uh, yeah. I something tells me, something absolutely tells me, we would have walked away from that one feeling like we were expecting to, in terms of just <laughs> mad and deflated with its one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> so that is Daddy Daycare, a D. Did you settle on two stars? Is that what you're going with?
1: No, I settled on one and a half. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, Eddie. No, I know you can do much better.
0: Yeah, I uh, I got confused there because you said one and a half feels too mean. So just going with it. Yeah, I end up, I end up going with the mean stuff because in the end, it's just – It's not good. It's just
1: – I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. That's the thing.
0: Yeah, that's a good call. I'd say watch the scene on YouTube where Jeff Garland gets kicked in the nuts. That's about it. That's all you need. <laughs> all right. So Daddy Daycare – that wraps up this bonus ep. Thank you, KT and OT.
1: Let us know let us know how you feel about Daddy Daycare. Was this was this an instance of you guys throwing us a movie that you expected us to hate? Or is this a a treasure from your from your childhood or your younger years that that you were hoping we would enjoy? I hope it's the, the first option, not the second one.
0: Yeah, sorry if we destroyed something you loved. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that line from fight club it's like i just wanted to destroy something beautiful
0: i another one of our patron requests love our patrons so very much if you would like to hear the contrarians give the full contrarian treatment to uh pretty much any movie you can think of we haven't turned one down yet don't plan on it again don't take that as a challenge but we're gonna keep it going and head over to our patron page to make that demand off the heels of daddy daycare we move on to episode 133 Just covering the fresh, the very fresh Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. We needed a rotten movie to plug in, and I am never short on them for Julio, so we will be tackling Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, with a standing of 8% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it is probably my favorite outside of the original, Friday the 13th. Uh, It is not universally loved. It is a very divisive one amongst Friday the 13th fans, though. But I have the, the poster for it hang, framed and hanging up in my living room with Jason with his hands and his knife overlooking uh, the, the Isle of Manhattan. That will be fun. Julio, it's like right around an hour and 30 minutes, so you're not going to be wasting your time too much, and I'll take you through the, the whole the whole experience. Uh, the reason for yeah. that is the majority of Friday the 13th Part 8 Is within the confines of a boat. And we're just kind of doing a one two hitter here of these uh, travel movies or the, um, I guess the, fuck, what, vehicle, like where the the majority of the film is contained within some sort of traveling vessel. uh, Because Julio for 134, we're covering some new ground for myself.
1: Yes, we're doing Snow Piercer, the movie, not the TV show. But Alex hasn't seen it, and I haven't seen it in a couple of years at least. So it's, uh, I'm not gonna say anything. I just want you to experience it. And uh, if things work out, we're gonna have a, a, a very special guest join us for that one. So it's it should be very exciting, and it should be nothing like Jason Takes Manhattan. I was gonna so, say, you know, just once again, variety is the spice of
0: life. A hell of a one-two-three here that we're doing. Just a, a combo unlike any other. I challenge y'all. <laughs> I, I challenge y'all to find another podcast covering uh, these bases in such rapid succession. But that was Daddy Daycare. That's what's on deck. As we head out of here, we want to move over to our perennial plugs. Uh, First and foremost, as always, we want to give thanks to the Festive Years, who provide our opening and closing tracks. They open us up with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to TheFestiveYears.com for any and all festive years needs.
1: Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Ruth Dieser. he is the artist behind our logo, behind all the uh, graphics that you see on our Patreon page, on our regular webpage, on our upcoming merch. Uh, He also has podcasts. He has a podcast called Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian uh, current affairs, and a podcast called Marginal, which is about economy. He has a webpage, mildemonios.pe, that's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S, where you can see all his work, including uh, all the novels that he's written. He's also a writer. Uh, His most recent one is called Zomo Zombies. It's a collection of zombie short stories uh, all throughout the Peruvian territory. Uh, The gimmick is that uh, the author of each short story writes a story about the, the Peruvian area that they live in. So, very interesting project. Uh, Hans always very supportive of the show, always with some hot takes whenever he reaches out and tells me about the latest episode he's listened to. So, uh, thank you for your support.
0: And Ms. Zoe Perez for helping us out with our social media game. She helps us out with our Instagram account, Facebook account, makes a lot of uh, interactive uh, graphics and videos uh, for you listening public and our fans if you haven't already be sure to go over to instagram and follow us at contrarian prime do the same on facebook facebook.com forward slash contrarian prime that covers it all so that's going to do it for this episode of the contrarians where we're right and you're wrong and we will catch you next time
1: and i just want you know i'm really glad